Are You Data Smart? A weekly podcast on data security, information management, and all things related to the data you have, how to protect it, and maximize its value. I'm Jay Ward. And I'm Christian Ward. And today, we're going to talk about the second step of the Data Smart method, which is valuing data assets. Uh, if you recall from our podcast number five, we talked about the first step in the Data Smart method, which was identifying um, your data assets. So sort of this know thyself uh, approach to data, where you break down all of your internal and external data assets, so that you can understand um, what data is created by your business and what data is created out about or around your business. Uh, and that's been uh, the, the first step, which sort of leads us into the next one. Yeah, and I think one of the things we did was talk about doing an audit in essence, set, you know, taking a step back and just mapping out with all of the tools at your disposal what you have. And I think doing this in an audit style approach, for me, it's been helpful with clients because it, it is inevitable that your clients will say, well, you know, I think this is, you know, I have only these discrete pieces of information. And then when you say, all right, well, let's let's actually look at this a little bit more methodologically people are going to be astonished at the amount of information that's coming in. Internally uh, yeah. generated data, externally generated data, there's tons of it. And you need yeah. to be rigorous. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people will have any clue until we sit down. It, it, as you said, uh, uh, looking back, something to the effect of people are like, well, we really don't have that much. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, wait, you're going to have to come back in two weeks. We didn't realize we had <laughs> oh, all Oh, the internet. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, we get some stuff from the internet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lots so, of people yeah, talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I've heard uh, about it before, the series of tubes. No, I, I, the, the, the point for me is the audit style approach and why we recommend this to clients is great because it gives you sort of that outsider's perspective on what's going on in the company. And you'll be amazed at the amount of information that comes in. And it gives you sort of a, a built-in advantage when you're mapping out how you want to proceed. And I, I know, Christian, you have a lot of ideas and thoughts on mapping. Well, generally speaking, um, I start almost every engagement with clients and, and partners um, with mind mapping software. I know this isn't everybody's thing. You can also use a dry erase board for this. But basically what we do is we interview every head of every division where it is clear there are data assets to be unearthed. Uh, and using mind mapping software is really great because you can really quickly build out different categories, attach data assets to it, what their field types are, what their lengths are, what their um, you know protection level or or security risk level are, and then uh, that automatically exports as these beautiful spreadsheets that that really breaks down those fields very well. Um, but that's usually what we do before we ever dive uh, deep. So once we've got this deep dive complete, we've you know we've gone through the audit. The next step, and this is a slight, you know slightly controversial one, or at least maybe not as intuitive as you might think. You've identified the assets, and now it's time to value them. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's uh, the reason why it's a little controversial is most people tend to go all through this process of setting up their strategy, and then they start talking about go to market. The problem with that is, um, if you can't look at a data asset and within 30 seconds, identify some level of value to it, then you really need to rethink the entire strategy. It's too late by the time you've done this audit and then decided, hey, we're going to build these new products and services leveraging these data sets, you, you actually have 
have to value them um, much sooner in the process. And, and it, it's, it's, it's easier than you may think, but it's a critical step to be done ahead of choosing what your strategy is going to be. Right, because you're going to run into confirmation bias if you don't. I mean, at the end, you've built an entire product launch, and you're like, all right, so what is this really worth? Um, it's not worth the last six months of work that we spent on it. Yeah, you just described some of the greatest failures of all time in new data, <laughs> new data products, but that that is it. It's it's People get excited about it. They're like, wow, I didn't even know we had the you know pants sizes of 10,000 gene companies. And we're like, yeah, that's not a product yet. You, you, you need to first identify how unique is that and what's the value. So one of the things about valuation is we have worked with countless bankers, um, corporate finance individuals, valuation experts. Valuation is always subjective. It is very difficult to come to any sort of objective understanding of the value of a data set. However, um, knowing that, what you can do is approach it from a little bit of a, a different perspective. And it's one that honestly, we just honed over a few decades of working in the industry, which is you you ultimately end up with sort of buckets of value. So um, things that maybe aren't as valuable as the next. You won't know the exact value, but you kind of know it when you see it. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing about breaking it up into buckets is it allows you to do what lawyers would do, which is say, all right, so we have what are, we would consider the absolute value of this information. It falls into some categories. Now let's cross-reference it against the potential risk. Right? What is the risk to me of holding on to this information? Sure, I can hold on to, oh, let's say, 150 million individuals' credit scores and not really secure it because it would cost me more money to, to hash and to encrypt. But what is the potential risk to me if that information is accessed? For most of us, it would be catastrophic. And that's the thing that you have to do when you're engaged in this process. Don't just look at absolute values. Think of the relative value, the risk benefit, the cost benefit, because that's how you can arrive at a thoughtful conclusion about whether or not the information you have is worth keeping and putting into a bucket. I mean, if the information is worth not very much and the risk is astronomical, you know what you probably need to do. And you're going to save yourself a big problem down the line with regulators whose new watchword is data minimization. Yeah. If you can't say, I need it, when they ask you why you have it, you're going to invite more risk. You're going to invite more liability. So yeah. do that relative valuation. We've talked about this, Jay. I mean, the data minimization is um, the polar opposite of, um, I don't even know how to say more opposite than the polar opposite. It is It is insanely different than what almost every data strategy is today, which is keep everything, hoard everything, uh, because someday you may need this piece of data. And I think it's it's a mindset that by design must be put in at the highest levels. The executives have to start to buy into this at every major uh, business that has data assets. Um, and, and really, uh, look, we boil it down to four simple buckets. Um, and there's, there's no uh, real uh, secret to this. It's literally just what we've seen year after year of what are the value of assets. And the four buckets are zero. So basically um, data assets that are basically you could charge no one for. They're zero dollars. Um, and, and we'll dive into each um, bucket and all the sort of descriptors uh, and, and properties of them in later podcasts. Um, then there's data that's kind of up to about $10,000. You could charge someone up to $10,000 a year for it. So the first one is zero. The second is about $10,000. The third one is about $100,000 a year. And the last one is a million dollars or more. 
Now, these seem highly unscientific, but and, and they probably are. They're really It's amazing that they're all in factors of 10. How did that happen? <laughs> it's because I'm a geek. But it's mostly because it's what I've found the market gravitates towards. And, and please don't misunderstand. Zero isn't of no value. If someone's willing to pay you nothing for your app, but in return, they're willing to give you all of their data about who they're friends with and what they socially like and what books they read, then there is a value exchange. It's just that it, it is at such a low increment. Now, the, the beauty of zero is, you know, ask Instagram, right? <laughs> For no money at all, you can post all of your photos and follow all of your friends' photos. Um, oh, and by the way, they're then worth a billion dollars. Like zero is a powerful bucket, but you have to understand why the data asset falls into that. Then you start getting into the 10,000 and the 100,000. And really, 10,000 tends to revolve around data assets almost like they're, they're more of a lifestyle. They really don't have, um, you could build a business on it, but not a big one. These are often the exhaust pipes of other businesses. So where people, let's say, have additional data about certain sectors and industries as the mere exhaust of them doing something in that sector or industry. Um, but as soon as you break that $100,000 a year mark um, and start pushing into that million dollar bucket, you've got something truly unique that can scale and has relevancy on a global basis. You know, it's interesting when you talk about, you know, the runoff and the exhaust, it's a quintessentially American way to characterize data because data is, it's a raw material, right? It's a commodity that we can use and fashion to, to create new products and to create wealth. And that's one reason why, you know, big data and the use of data has been such a profitable industry in this country and can really be an engine for growth for you and for your business. The one thing that I would caution you is that when you're doing this valuation, when you go back to that relative valuation, remember that that's not the way regulators think about data, okay? Exactly. They think of data as a, as a component, a pixel that eventually put in the aggregate will create a picture of a person. And that person has fundamental rights to privacy if they're Europeans, and they have a reasonable expectation of privacy if they're an American. So you always have to have in your mind a sort of two-factor two approach to valuing so that you can actually have a comprehensive and integrated approach to valuing this data that doesn't put you at risk of having a regulator be like, yeah, you've collected a lot of information, but... 90% of it you shouldn't have anyway so you know we're going to talk yeah and, and that's 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 an important thing to remember because if you don't do both you're missing out on half of the equation and that's that's really what the buckets are about because you've got to be able to work in um, some framework of relative value. And that means tying both the risks and the reward potential. It also means in your initial audit um, of identifying your data assets, you really have to pay attention to what are things that are really B2B or objective and really don't paint that pixel. Don't really give you something about an individual or a person uh, because at some point you're going to end up with a value matrix. It's where you're taking each data asset against each data risk and then the amount of information and then also things like how hard is it to replace the data if you if you were to forego it now because it's the responsible thing to minimize its 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 access. Could you come back to it and, and harvest it later or partner with someone who is proven to have superior data protection than perhaps what you yourself as a business can provide. So all of those great things work together and to build a holistic valuation uh, that you can then start to build your data strategies around. Exactly. And I think if you maintain data now, 
it doesn't mean that you'll have to use it now. And if you get rid of data now, it doesn't mean that you can never use it again. That's so that's correct. have a long-term approach. That's when we talk about this data smart method, we're talking about thinking not just the next two weeks, not just when you know the round A is over or when your angel investors are in town <laughs> next month. We're thinking about long-term how to build success and wealth and legal responsibility with data. Absolutely. And, and lastly, uh, in upcoming podcasts, as I said, we'll dive into each bucket of analysis, give you examples of those types, as well as the other really critical things to valuation, uh, such as um, coverage. So what is how broad is the coverage? What is the depth of coverage that you have of any given uh, unique data set? The freshness, the uniqueness of it, and of course, the probably the most important, the actual quality of the accuracy of the data. So we'll dive into each of those uh, in upcoming podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Are You Data Smart? And we will see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks.